Hi there. On today's episode, I talk about the Canmore Half Marathon and training, and I have part one of my conversation with local MSR Neil Blue. Stick around. Sunday, uh, I uh, ran the half marathon, the Cause Canada half marathon in Canmore, Alberta, um, which I thought, since it's only going to be, you know, 21 kilometers, I thought, no problem. Um, but the reality is I haven't been really doing a lot of training since um, since the really long run. So, uh, I mean, I've mostly been running 5 and 10Ks, and uh, haven't really been in a, uh, in a regular program. <laughs> so it, uh, it took me, uh, longer than I would have liked. It was, um, and that half marathon is pretty, it's difficult because the last, uh, when you hit about just over the halfway mark, you start going uphill until you come to about the three quarter of the way mark. Uh, and there's some pretty steep climbs, but, uh, no excuse. I mean, the reality is I, I didn't train. Uh, so, uh, I mean, this not me sound really stupid or silly, but you know, I don't know what I was thinking, but obviously you need to be, even what, after you run an ultra distance, you still need to be preparing and training correctly for something like that. So, uh, but it was a great, it was a great event. It was pretty, um, uh, I was pretty interesting when, when we got there in the morning, uh, the race started at 8:45, and when we got to the the school near downtown Camore there, uh, where, where you start and finish, um, the, uh, uh, the rain was pretty heavy and I thought, Whoa, boy, this is going to be interesting. And I repaired, we, we checked the, the weather before we, we left Edmonton to, to go to Camore and, um, knew that it was potentially could rain, but it was coming down pretty good. And, when we were standing sort of in the, in the, at the starting gate, it was coming down, but it wasn't coming down. It had lightened up. But I still thought, man, this is going to be an interesting morning. And, uh, you know, I carried my backpack with me. What's, you know, my camelback with my water, but it's also got places where I can put stuff. Uh, so I was well layered with clothing and that. Uh, but the amazing thing is about the, I'd say, uh, probably eight kilometers in, uh, you know, the weather started to change, and then, and by about the 10K mark, the clouds parted, blue sky, uh, I actually got too hot, I had to take all my, over, off my outer coat, my long sleeve, um, and then pack it in my pack, and then by the time I got back to the finish line, it clouded over again, and just as we were getting in the car, it started to rain, so, um, it worked out pretty good, it was a really good weekend, um, and I did have, uh, you know, amazingly enough, presence of mind, at one point I was running along the river, uh, that goes through Camor there, and it was just one of those rare. I don't know if any of you have ever run a marathon, but for the most most part, uh, you're generally in a group of people, and you know usually 10, 15, 20 minutes into it into a run, you you generally end up with this in the, in a group of people that are at your speed, and you will you see those people pretty much throughout the the rest of the day. They'll pass you, you'll pass them. They'll stop to adjust, and you'll pass them. Then you stop to adjust, and you pass. But you're generally in the same group. 
But anyway, I was by beside this river, and I found myself kind of just by myself, sort of in this treat area. And I thought, you know, maybe I should record some audio uh, for the podcast while I'm running. And uh, well, here it is. So I got about uh, about five k to go in the Canmar half marathon, and. For any runners listening, little tip, even if you run a ultra marathon in May, not training for a half marathon in September, big time mistake. Um, it's not that I'm not going to finish, but this 20k will be slower than the first 20k of the really long run, so, you know, I should have probably trained a little better, but uh, what are you going to do? The guy leading this thing, there's a point where at the 10k mark where the runners that are ahead are passing you going the other way. He passed he passed me at the 10k mark. So that means he was a full 10 kilometers ahead. Um, I mean obviously the guy was built like a gazelle. And he's probably not pushing 40 years old. Probably doesn't have MS, but still as much jealous jealous as I am, good for him. Because he was just trucking. I'd have to guess he was running. Oh. Four. Probably four minutes a kilometer. Somewhere in there. Uh, anyway, this is just a quick update from the trail. Update. So that was just a, a short snippet from my run in Canmore. Um, and yeah, as I, like I said, when I mentioned in that little, in that little clip. Uh, the guy that was leading that race, uh, I don't know if he was running four minutes a click or three and a half minutes a click or whatever, but um, like I said, when I, you know, there's a, a, a marker on the, on, the, on the course that says you're at the 10K point and there's, you know, markers, you know, as you hit various distances, but at the 10K point, the runners that are going, that are ahead are actually running towards you to, on, on the other side. And it was at the 10K mark, he passed me going the other way. And that would meant that he was 10 kilometers ahead of me. Um, and just really impressive. And even the guy um, that was behind him, the second place guy, um, he would have been a good two or three clicks behind the leader. Uh, so I don't know who that guy was, uh, but uh, hats off to him. That was pretty impressive stuff. So anyway... Uh, getting to the most important part of the podcast, uh, this podcast is part one of my conversation with Neil Blue, and Neil and I met as a result as a result of the really long run. Um, he he saw one of the news reports. I don't know if it was on uh, Global or CTV or or what whatnot, but he he had saw one of the uh, reports on the really long run on TV, and. It was actually his mom who friended me on Facebook first and then Neil afterwards. And, and then I had a chance to meet Neil at the, uh, at the bike tour. And we actually met up on stage when uh, they asked all the MSers who rode the bike tour that day to come up on stage. And, uh, well, I tell the story more in the conversation with, with Neil. But anyway, that's how we met. And then it, through my interaction with Neil, Neil, uh, I believe... Uh, is about two years into his journey with, with the disease and um, 
he is he's a spark plug he he has a lot of really great ideas and we ended up splitting this into two parts because uh, we started at a coffee shop near Grant McEwen and then he had to go 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 day and then we met on at Bourbon Street um, on in West Edmonton Mall and we actually sat out on Bourbon Street at the, the little little tiny patio that's at Sherlock Holmes right as you uh, enter in Bourbon Street um, so the, part one is our conversation at uh, the coffee shop downtown and then part two which will come up in two weeks will be our conversation at uh, at the Sherlock Holmes in West Edmonton Mall um, Things I can say about Neil, uh, he's driven. He's had a, he recently had a really good MRI where a lot of the lesions were reversed. Again, you'll hear that uh, in our talk. Um, uh, the striking thing about him, I mean, even being so young into being diagnosed, his goal is to get a, a mentor, mentorship program off the ground. And now I understand, uh, actually we texted with Neil just this morning as I was recording this, that the, the MS Society has started something similar. Um, and I, with no, no doubt in my mind, probably with, because of Neil's, um, uh, urging and his efforts, cause he has made people at the MS Society aware of what he wanted to do. So, um, in this conversation, we talk about, uh, the membership program. We talk about our relationships, um, you know, um, you know, I had to tell him, I mean, part of the story was a, that you'll hear is I was you know, explain to, to Neil how I met my wife and he talks about his relationship with a, with a lady named Jessica that I have not met yet. Um, he also talks about how his relationships with his friends and his family have evolved um, and things he's had to give up and things he's had to change. And um, But overall, Neil has a really, really positive outlook uh, on his disease and... and uh, I really recommend it. This listening to anyone who has MS or recently diagnosed, and um, yeah, thanks again, Neil, for taking the time to talk to me. I think that it was a you know, uh, I'm glad it's going to be stretched into two parts because I think you have a lot of really uh, great things to say to to everyone in our community. And uh, yeah, here's our conversation, and uh, uh, I hope it's awful. Okay, I'm sitting here with Neil. We're at a coffee shop near Grant McEwen. Uh, Neil, thanks for taking the time to join me. Thanks so much. I'm really happy to be here. And Neil, you, um, why don't we just start off? You just tell me how MS came about in your life. Yeah, so um, a few years ago, a long time ago now, I guess, when I was 16, I raised $10,000 for the MS Society. Um, my uncle, he's fully disabled from MS, and my great aunt also has MS. Um, so I kind of wanted to, uh, I guess, raise some money to help them with that. Um, after that, fast forward a few late, few years later, I'm 24 and I got diagnosed. So that's how it all came to be. And. You and I sort of met as a result of um, of the run that I did. We met on stage actually at the um, uh, at the MS Bike Tour, and it's kind of a funny story because I said to you on stage, "Why don't you add me on Facebook?" And you'd already added me, so I I do apologize. My memory's not so good. I blame the MS. <laughs> um, 
But as a result of his meeting, you had, you had mentioned a, a program you're trying to get off the ground, and I'd, I'd love it if you tell the listeners what, uh, what that is. Yeah, so when I first got diagnosed, I really looked to some role models, I guess, that had MS. So I had heard about you, of course, and I thought that was great, what you were doing. And I was in contact with this gentleman who had been diagnosed when he was 24, and now he's 34. And uh, he was on the same medication that I was on. And um, he gave me a lot of advice on how I should go about it, you know, how I should go about the relationships, every, everything, not just the, uh, the physical effects of MS, but I mean the, the mental side and, and how he kind of, how he changed his life around. And hearing stories from those people was instrumental to me in the beginning. So what I would like to do and what I've been putting out to the MS community and the MS society is start a program and I call it the MS mentor program but it's just a way for people to be matched with other individuals with MS who have similar interests so for example you you like hockey and I like hockey so if this program were started and I was just recently diagnosed um, we would look at okay some of the interests that they like they like hockey they like sports they're this sort of you know and we try to match them it almost be like a, a dating site for ms but it's not dating right it's just it's just it's just matching someone with similar interests um and it, because it made it easier for me um to talk to him because i really related to him and because of that i've had great success with ms as you've seen with my recent scans, um, my lesions decreased a lot, and I, and yeah. Can you elaborate on that? When you said your recent scans, I think that would be something that would be really interesting to hear about because that was pretty exciting when you shared that with me. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was really cool. It was pretty emotional. Um, all of you out there listening to this can't see the pictures, but I have them up on my my Facebook page, and I basically just I wanted to show. Um, a lot of people that were there for me, the results of my labors, and basically a lot of my lesions um, completely disappeared, basically. Um, there's still a small uh, lesion there that you can't see that'll leave a lingering symptom, but um, overall, uh, my symptoms are decreased tenfold. Um, I went from not being able to see anything in my left eye to um, being 95% recovered according to my optometrist, I can't really tell. Some days it's bad, some days it's better. But I, I, I mean, it was that, those were the results that I had. It was really great. Now, you, you know, before we start recording, you kind of mentioned how um, you, you have done some lifestyle modification. You're, you're taking Capaxone. Um, you know, and, 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 and to get a scan like that where, where I mean, it's basically reversing itself. Um, now I know you you don't know for sure, but what do you attribute? Think what do you think my, what caused that? What do you attribute to that to? What do you think happened? Well, firstly, I just want to say, um, with that, I don't believe that there's any one thing that will cure someone. There's no miracle cure for MS. Um, I would attribute it attribute it to a lot of different things. So one, the medication I chose was perfect for me. Um, it was the one that didn't cause depression, which is why I chose it, um, and it was the one with the least amount of side effects. Um, so definitely the medication, but also diet. I changed my diet tenfold. And that was also because of the MS mentor that I was mentioning earlier. He told me you need to try different things until you find something that works for you. So 
I cut out dairy and, and red meat um, and a bunch of other things. And, and that seemed to really work for me. Um, you know, and there's a lot of smaller things too, like exercise. I couldn't exercise because I could barely stand, but I, anytime I could walk, I, w- I would try to walk as far as I could, and as long as I could. Um, I got involved in a, in a sports team, uh, Southwest Zone uh, Oil Kings. Um, I started being assistant coach there, a team that I used to play for. And that was good for my <clears throat> mental health because I had to give up sports. Um, I also credit uh, getting a psychologist early on to deal with everything. It was, it was huge for me. It helped me deal, learn how to deal with the pain. It taught me different methods to deal with the pain. And I think all of those things in combination and maintain a positive outlook and continuing to fight, even when I gained all that weight, and um, keeping that positive outlook and doing all those things made the difference for me. It definitely... It was everything in, in combination. It wasn't just one thing. Now, you, you mentioned when we, when we first started talking that um, you have a bit of a higher stress job. And one of the recurring themes as I've been talking to other MSers is stress is a trigger. So if you have a high stress job, you know, how are you managing your stress? Are you, is there any techniques or tools or are things that you're doing that helps you, you, you know, to manage that? Yeah, well... Firstly, it comes back to how you want to deal with your diagnosis. And that comes from um, when I talked to my psychologist, she said there's different ways to deal with this. You know, you can keep it in like a lot of people do, or you can talk to people about it, be really open. For me, I was really open. And part of it was because of my job. I had to tell my bosses what was going on. My work was suffering immensely. I'm, I'm sure a lot of MSers, you know, they... They suffer too at work. So, um, yeah, I was really open with them and told them what's going on and just told them I need to get stable and I just need to get my feet under me. And that, that decreased my stress a lot. Um, and that helped, that helped huge. I mean, um, them doing that was um, really important for me to have the recovery that I did. And then past that, I just tried to make sure that uh, I communicate with them to let them know when I'm overwhelmed or what's too much or what's not enough. And, they're really accommodating, and, and employers have a duty or responsibility to do that, right? They have to try to accommodate you. Um, and I guess just communication with them is very, very important if you want to have success in the workplace. And I think that uh, now that I'm feeling better and I'm having that success that I want, so that's good. So you're in your, you're in your mid-20s, and you get this diagnosis, and you already knew a bunch about it from family members that had it. But you mentioned to me before we started recording that you know you didn't uh, you didn't cry about it, you know. So, what is your thought? What was your thought process like then? And what what do you how do you feel now? Yeah, well, like I was saying to you, I, when I first got diagnosed, I I knew what it was, and I knew what the challenges were going to be. Um, I was scared, but um, I just knew that it was going to be a, a challenge. And I like to always try my best at anything, even if I don't do well. I like to just give it my best, right? And that's kind of how I looked at it. Um, like I said to you, too, I was more emotional about actually having to give up hockey. That was hard. Um, but um, you, you work around it, I guess. And my mindset now 
would be really happy. You know, I'm I'm really happy with the type of challenges it's presented with me. It's made me, I think, a better person. Not that I wasn't a good person before. I think I was. I just, um, it's definitely challenged me in ways that I, I wouldn't have been challenged before, and made me more uh, humble. And I cherish more things that are important in life, I guess, as lame as that sounds. But, I mean, when you're in your younger 20s, you're just, you know, a partier or you're, you know, whatever. You're stupid and um, you take things for granted, and especially your health and um, the quality of the life I want to live, I realize is important to me. And I continue to work on those things that I know I need to do to have good health and that takes precedence over everything else and yeah I guess that's my mindset is just I'm pretty happy I mean I still have my symptoms um it's still harder than some people have but I mean yeah I guess just pretty happy with where I'm at and again when we when we first started talking um you, you know you said that uh you were you're in the middle of an attack when you when you saw me on TV and your your exact words is like hey that guy's a, a bit of a was a, is a bit of a badass and you know truth be told listening to what you just said prior to my diagnosis um, and even early on after I got diagnosed um, you know I was a bit of a badass but not not for not for good reasons um, I mean you mentioned partying you know in your early twenties I was still doing that in my early thirties and um, you know, and I think that that probably, and again, it's nothing I can prove, but I, I think it probably contributed to uh, developing it. Maybe I would have developed it later in life. Maybe I wouldn't have. And maybe, maybe, maybe it had nothing to do with it. But I have a suspicion that you know, living a living a hard life like that's not uh, not the healthiest thing to do. So, um, so I had to give all that up. So I mean, when you look at you know, you gave up hockey. Outside of hockey. You know, are there things that other things that are really tough to give up, or uh, you know, is there, is there something that you look back and you go, uh, you know, it's tough that I had to give up, or is it, or is it specifically just just hockey for you? And also, um, before I hand you the microphone back, uh, I'm going to ask you one other question. Um, outside of giving up stuff, how did your, you know, your family and your social circle react? I mean, what was their how do they react to you? All right, well, let's start with the social circle. I think that one's probably quicker and easier. Um, my friends were great, uh, very supportive, and they were, you know, they were, uh, you know, looking up stuff and sending me articles and wanting to get involved. And I have really great friends, like really, really good friends, and I'm very lucky to uh, have them in my life. Um, um, they it was hard right because they don't know how to be there for you right like when someone gets diagnosed it's hard for them but they wanted to be and that was nice to see too my family they were they just they were very uh, emotional my mom took it really hard um <laughs> like on a personal note I was moving out of the house too and I'm the baby of the family so she was really emotional and she was she was having a lot of trouble with that and uh, the rest of my family kind of saw it as a is a death sentence in a way I mean you look at my family in particular it's been tough right the disease I mean um, with my uncle and everything and the family friend um, 
who was really sick with MS, um, it makes it it makes it hard for them to accept it. Um, it was harder on them than me, I think. But uh, yeah, overall, overall, uh, now they're doing much better with it. They see that I'm having success. You know, I'm still doing my modules for school for accounting, and uh, they see me, you know, in a relationship. I'm not just going to be some single, unhappy, miserable person. And I think they're happy for me. And I think my friends are really happy for me. And that's that's really important. Um, and then the second part of that question was, oh, yeah, what did I give up? So uh, the hardest thing for me was definitely hockey. That was brutal. Even bef the summer before um, I started getting really sick, I was playing, you know, in a competitive men's league. And, you know, playing with high-skill players and playing with guys, really good guys, you know. And it was a social thing for me to get to go out and see the guys and, you know, go for drinks or whatever. And that's hard to give up, uh, for sure. I think... Um, I think some of the other harder things to give up weren't that hard. Like, some people would say, oh, I could never give up dairy or I could never give up beef, but... I just said to myself, I need to get better and I need to do everything. And it was way easier than I thought it would be. I mean, it wasn't easy, but I mean, my family would have steak or whatever. And I'd just say, hey, can you make a chicken for me? I just can't do it. And they were pretty understanding. I think a lot of people are afraid when they start talking about their MS. Um, this relates kind of to what I've been talking about for the last two points. But um, they're worried that that people are going to judge them and not like them, but I don't think that's the case. Some people don't know how to take it, and so they might be a little awkward at first, but if they're your good friends, they'll be there for you, and they'll understand. Your family will understand. And I think that's a huge fear for some people at first, but, um, and, you know, to be honest, there's a few people that I did remove from my life, you know, just for the simple fact of, uh, they didn't want to include someone who was sick or maybe they saw me as weak and I'm fine with that and frankly it's for the better right now now I know who my good friends are and uh, and I'm super happy about where I'm at and so that's, that answers your questions I hope <laughs> now you just mentioned something about uh, about being weak you know I think that um Anyone who will look at you as being weak as somebody who's taken taken on MS head on, they're missing the boat, you know. Um, but that's that's my opinion. Um, but you also touched on another interesting point, and this is kind of a two-parter, but it's really the same question. Um, like for me, I didn't meet, I did everything backwards. I didn't meet my wife till after I got diagnosed. I didn't start having kids till after I got diagnosed. And my wife and I, I knew that the, the, the lady that I married was the, the person for me very early on. Uh, we met December 2009. We were engaged by the beginning of February 2010. Um, I, I just knew, right? The single hardest moment in my life uh, up to that point, other than getting, hearing the diagnosis, was I didn't tell her right off the bat. I mean, you don't, go for, you, don't, you don't go for your first date and say, sit down, by the way, by the way, my Sean, oh, by the way, I have MS, right? Um, but I could tell it was going to get serious. So I remember, uh, like it was yesterday, I, I had to turn to her and say, by the way, um, the, the, no, this is before I proposed, but this is when I knew. I mean, this is when I knew. 
I already knew before I sent it, but this is when I knew it, it, it was ironclad in my head. I, I just looked at her and I said, Andrea, uh, I have got to tell you something. And she thought, I, I can only imagine what was going through her head, but, uh, you know, I have to tell you something. And she looked at me and she's like, what is it? Because she could tell. I'm like, I have MS. Um, and, she, you know, and, and I, I think I said, I, I have MS. Um, you know, if that changes anything for you, you know, that's, that's okay. But I have to tell you, no, because if this is going to get serious, if this is going to go further, you need to know. Um, and she just looked at me and said, okay. And I said, okay, what? You know, and she was just like, okay. That doesn't change anything for me. Um, so that's when I knew for sure this is, this is it, right? And um, so anyway, my question surrounding that is you mentioned you're in a relationship. Um, and we talked a little bit about this before, about sort of coming out of the closet with your MS. Uh, if you could just kind of touch on that and like, how was that experience for you? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think it's funny that, I don't know how you didn't tell her for so long. I'm serious right now. I don't know how you did it. Like that's, that's pretty special. I don't know how you did that, but, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I started dating a girl after I was diagnosed and, um, I said to her, her name's Jessica. And <laughs> I said, you know, like uh, she's actually the one who introduced me to, my MS mentor, which was was fortunate, because um, she knew him. But I said to her, you know, I don't want a relationship. You know, I'm sick. And I don't feel good, and I just I don't want that. And she was just, she said, you're such a great guy, and I just want to be there for you. And I, I think you can get through this. And I don't care about that. And for me, that was really huge because I think I don't know when you're going through that and you're. You're on the drugs and you're doing the steroids and you're gaining weight and you don't feel very desirable. You know, you feel like you're damaged. And she she never made me feel like that. And I know that's a fear for a lot of MS patients is dating and being afraid. Like, oh, who's gonna who's gonna love someone who's sick? And um, I know there's two cases right here, like speaking to you and in my situation where people look past that. Also think. Sometimes with MS, people can't tell. I said this to you before. People can't tell that you're sick, right? So a lot of times you think that the person you're going on a date with or you're seeing is going to notice, but in most cases they probably won't, right? And so I guess, yeah, you don't need to be too concerned about that, but I do think it's important you let them know. <laughs> <laughs> that you have MS, because <laughs> then that could that's a that could be a deal breaker for some people. But if that's a deal breaker, like in our cases, I mean, then obviously it wasn't supposed to work out, right? I mean, and you're with your your wife now, and you have two kids, so clearly it was it was good. But same for me, right? I mean, it worked out great, and we're super happy. And now I should say, in fairness to my wife, I think uh, I think now that she's gotten to know me over the past five years, that. Uh, MS is probably the least of her worries between the anxiety, the depression, uh, the crazy ideas I have about running long distances. Uh, I, I, think, uh, I think the MS is probably the easy one. Um, so when you, you know, you're, you're embarking on a career, you're still doing some, some modules for your work. So when, you're, when, you look, when you look to the future, what does that look like to you? Do you, do you plan your life around MS or do you just plan your life like, you know, or do you just say, you know what, I'm going to live my life and whatever happens, happens? To be honest, uh, when I first met my 
psychologist. She kind of gave me a really good, really good way to look at everything as best case, worst case scenarios, right? And at the time, my worst case was, well, I'm having a lot of relapses. I'm getting really sick. What if this is a fast thing? What if I get uh, worse diagnosis and I'm I'm sick right away? Um, or what if I live a long time and I'm really happy? So I kind of came up with goals and plans based on that. Um, one of my goals is to get my accounting designation. I really want to do that. I really want that. It's going to give me a lot of opportunity um, for when once I'm once I have it, I, I can do so many different things in business. It um, no matter what happens with my MS, I think it'll allow me opportunities to at least make a living so that I can support myself. Um, and that's that's huge. So that was a that's a big thing I want to do. Um, it changed my outlook a little bit on terms of wanting to go out and make a ton of money. A lot of accounts are money driven. For me, I I really want to start that MS mentor program. Uh, really bad. That's my my goal for five years. I um, I want to get that off the ground uh, and make it into something special. Um, and even with the good diagnosis, that doesn't change my desire to do that. Uh, um, in terms of career, not too concerned, like I said. With my designation, I can do a lot of stuff. Uh, whether that's uh, in public accounting or private or not-for-profit or, you know, whatever. Um, I'm not too concerned about that at this time. More so, I'm, I'm, in my, I'm only in my first year of having significant relapses, right? I mean, I've had it... Pro I don't know about you. I think I was born with it, and I've had it my whole life. I had symptoms uh, two years ago um, with pain in my neck, but my first really bad relapses started happening in this last year. I'm still getting used to it, so I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I just need to still learn about... I'm still learning how to operate, right? I, I know you understand that, and anyone who has MS understands that. You're still learning. It's, it's always a learning curve. Even years later, from what I understand, you're still trying to learn what your body can and can't do. So I'm still getting to that. And from there, we'll see what happens. Now I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Um, you strike me as the type of person that uh, is cerebral in nature. So you would have probably looked into a lot of this stuff. And um, I'm just curious. Like I, 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 I posted something on my blog the other day about how potentially... Uh, solar activity and, and magnetic disturbances in our upper atmosphere potentially could have a cause MS. And it's actually a paper, people. This isn't me. This is, a, this is an actual academic paper they're working on. So I'm just curious to hear, like, do you have any, any theories of your own on, on how it might develop? On how MS might develop? Specifically? Honestly, I, I think it's a mystery to anyone. Uh, it, it's interesting to read that because I, I did read a little bit of it. I don't know if that's all of it. I mean, it, it's genetic. I think it's a combination of things. I, I think it's uh, genetics. I think it's how far away you are from the equator. Like you were saying, that whatever you call it. Uh, yeah, that hypothesis that you posted. Um, I don't. I, I I tend not to think about stuff like that, just because. I don't want to deal with any hypotheticals and start... It's like people who come up with uh, random theories on how to cure uh, MS. I was reading one other day about 
a chiropractor, how he cures MS. And I thought that was the stupidest thing I've ever read in my whole life. I couldn't believe it. You know, I go to a chiropractor a lot. He's a great guy. To say he cured my MS is absurd, but he definitely helps me, right? But um, I don't like dealing with too many things like that. I, I wouldn't want to take a stab at it even. I, I think it's just a lot of different things. I think you're born with it, though. I think you have it from when you're little and um, something triggers it. And, and that's what I think, yeah. It's interesting. You, you, you kind of touched on how uh, you're born with it. And it's interesting, just, uh, just this morning, um, I came across uh, an article, and I'm going to post about it on the blog too, um, how they're talking about gene therapy as a potential treatment. And, you know, because if you have this, I can't remember which gene it was, but if you have this one mutated gene, it's, it seems to be, there seems to be a correlation between that and us. So it's interesting, and I agree with you. I mean, there's so many theories out there, and a lot of them are, crackpot uh my favorite of which i that came across was uh there's a guy out of new zealand that claims that he can cure ms by having you stung several times by bees uh, you know that that i think that one still ranks up as my all-time favorite um but i, I but i always look into the the, the current research just to see what's going on not because i think i can read something and maybe adapt something at home like i can make, put something on the stove and you know <laughs> but it's just more because it's it's i I'm interested to see where the research is going. Um, now I'm going to shift gears again. You're a hockey fan, so I have to ask the question: uh, Is Connor McDavid the a really good thing to happen to Edmonton, or the greatest thing ever to happen to Edmonton? He's, uh, you know, the biggest thing since Wayne Gretzky, right? I mean, he's going to be huge for the city and for our team for sure. I, I think you watch him; he's exciting. I talked to my. F- my friend about it who was who's drafted into the NHL and he says he can't believe how good he is and how amazing he is and I mean it's uh when you start hearing all these players talk about him Crosby making those comparisons Wayne Gretzky talking about him I mean he's the real deal we're lucky to have him for sure (laughs) I probably caught you off guard with that one but it's an it's an Edmonton-based podcast you gotta talk about hockey right Part one of my conversation with Neil Blue. Uh, Part two will come up in two weeks when episode number six of the YEGMS podcast is released. Uh, Once again, I want to thank Neil for taking the time to talk to me and switch venues and uh, being really open. Uh, In our next conversation, we we touch on some more uh, sensitive topics like the liberation treatment um, and other things like that where... I mean, I'm, to be frank, I, I wasn't necessarily comfortable talking about because I know that there, there are sensitive issues to many in our community, but uh, Neil pushed me to, to talk about them, and, and you'll hear that conversation in two weeks, and, and I appreciate Neil pushing me to talk about it. I, uh, uh, my goal is with this is to never uh, offend anyone, but at the same time, we have to feel uh, comfortable enough that we can talk about uh, the different issues that face us, and um, that's why I really appreciate Neil and, uh, and, 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 and getting to know him. Anyways, um, if you ever want to get a hold of me, uh, you can find me on Twitter at ownms.com1. That's at O W N D O T C O M and the number one. Uh, 
Uh, you can also send me an email uh, to Sean, S-E-A-N, at ownmultiplesclerosis.com. That's O-W-N, multiplesclerosis.com. It's all one word. Uh, as I mentioned, I think on every one of these podcasts, uh, if you ever want to be involved or if you feel like you want to be involved with the really long run next year in 2016, um, what will be in May 2016, and I'll have the date uh, set sometime here in the next two weeks, uh, please get a hold of me if you want to volunteer, if you want to run 5K, 10K, 20K, what heck, if you want to run the whole thing with me, um, uh, please reach out. And also, MS Bike Tour, I <clears throat> would like to get as many team members as possible for, for our team next year, for the Battered Piles, Battered Piles Bike Team next year. Uh, we had 18 last year. Uh, this year, I hope I'd like to have 30. Uh, Dave Gordon, who you may have heard in a previous podcast, is another MSer who's on the team. Uh, and we've set that as a goal to, to try and get as many team members so we can, uh, you know, to raise as much money as possible. Uh, the Battered Piles uh, were in the top 10 last year uh, as far as fundraising goes. Because um, all the money from the really long run goes to the Battered Piles Pike team, which in turn then goes to the MS Society of Canada. Anyway, that's it for me for this episode. Uh, like I said, if you want to get a hold of me, please do. And if you ever want to be a guest, reach out to me. I'd love to. I'd love to hear your story. Anyway, we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm.